0: A cloud appears where he has said, let's build a tent of meeting. A cloud, there it is again. This cloud comes, obscures the whole party. It covers Moses and Elijah and sparkly Jesus and a loud voice comes to say, yes, Peter, you are right. This is the Messiah. You are right. The very presence of God shows up in a cloud in this place, just like the cloud on Mount Sinai, just like the pillar of cloud that showed up every time God came to the Tent of Meeting. This cloud let them know, in case there was any doubt, that God was there. On this Transfiguration Sunday, I have to tell you, uh, was not too excited, although a little, I don't, so I'm gonna start by saying I don't like clouds, just in general. And so to wake up this morning with a sermon titled Cloud Cover to That, uh, felt like I maybe accidentally put something in the universe that I did not wanna have. So I'll start by saying I'm a sun seeker, like a cat. I follow the sunbeam around my house all day in every season. My home office faces east, and I start the day there. And then as it moves to the south, I move to the kitchen table, which faces south. Some of you might know this about me already. It's not a secret. I haven't made it a secret. I have seasonal affective disorder, uh, a mood disorder that is thought to be caused by a lack of light. That means during those long stretches of gray days in Minnesota, it is a struggle to present as my typical, well-balanced, healthy self. As anyone who has ever struggled with mental health knows, uh, basic things like enthusiasm, motivation, self-care become challenges in these times. You might think this would mean I don't like winter, but actually that's not the case at all. I love winter. I love winter, especially the really, really, really cold days because in Minnesota in particular, a very cold day means it's sunny, exactly. I will take 20 below and sunny, over 35 and cloudy, literally any day, give me the sun all the time. So the sun is what matters most to me. So of course, all that to say, clouds are kind of my nemesis, or at least nemesis to my mental health. So this is why maybe I've decided I've maybe never really paid attention to the number of times clouds play an important part in scripture. Maybe because I'm such a sun seeker, I intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or subconsciously breeze on by the cloudy parts of the story. There could be a whole sermon there just off of that sentence, but I won't. But just trust me, it's there. Maybe it's because we never hear Bible stories that tell us about a partly sunny day. This is how you know this wasn't written by Minnesotans, because they don't tell us what the weather's like to start every story. We don't hear it. We don't hear, it was a bright and beautiful sunny day. How's the weather today, guys? What do you feel like? Isn't this stretch brutal? It's so cold out there. You don't hear any of the details about weather in scripture. Maybe it's also because there's no stories of our favorite characters laying in a field somewhere and looking up at the clouds. I would really love a story about Jesus and the disciples trying to decipher cloud shapes. I bet looking at clouds with Jesus would be a lot of fun, actually. If he can control the sea, I bet uh, making clouds look like animals would be a piece of cake. So then it's interesting uh, to take some time to actually look and think and notice all the times in scripture when clouds show up. When they do, if you take the time, which I have done this week, because I could not stop thinking about this one cloud in today's story, when clouds show up in scripture, they always represent God. They represent the presence of God in a specific place. Here are some examples. If I were to have read the text or had uh, Carol read the text today from Exodus that was paired with the Transfiguration story, it would be the story of Moses on Mount Sinai found in Exodus. Uh, it is 20, Exodus 24, 15 through 18. So here it is. This is the story assigned to today. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days and on the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on The mountain. Now, a fun little little factoid, I'm just going to take us to Christmas for a second, because one of my favorite parts about the Christmas story is that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And do you remember, if you were here for Christmas, I like to talk about how the glory of the Lord is how we define the presence of the Lord in the temple. So the presence of the Lord left the temple and hung out with the shepherds in the field. That is what we hear at Christmas. So in Exodus, the glory of the Lord was in the cloud and on the mountain. As the Israelites left Egypt in the beginning of Exodus, God shows they are not alone on their journey by being a pillar of fire by night, and what during the day, a pillar of? Clouds, exactly. It's gonna be a theme, so you should get used to saying where we're going. Uh, when Moses and the Israelites are sent out from Sinai, wandering in the wilderness towards the promised land, they set up what they call a tent in the wilderness And every time Moses goes to hang out inside that tent with God, a pillar of what? Clouds comes and blocks the entrance of the tent when Moses is in there. This is how they knew God was there. They called this the tent of meeting. We'll get back to this, but I just love this so much. Throughout all of our early Hebrew scriptures, until the construction of the temple by Solomon, which we read about in 1 Kings, so all the books before that in the Bible, the leaders, prophets, priests, judges, they all meet with God in this tent that Moses started setting up in the wilderness. It is a tradition that begins with Moses and continues on till Solomon builds the first temple. When God shows up in the tent of meeting, it is always known by the presence of, any guesses? A cloud, good job. So, that brings us to today, Transfiguration Sunday. A day where we usually talk about mountains, or shiny Jesus, or not usually anything else, right? We talk about the mountaintop experiences of this day, and yet, what else is in this story? I think you know where I'm going with this. A cloud, yes. For some reason this year, I could not stop thinking about the cloud in this story instead of the mountain. And this took me down the rabbit hole of clouds and the rest of scripture that I just took you on, lucky you, and the connection to the tent of meeting and the presence of God. So while clouds have never been my thing, I guess this year, on this year's Transfiguration Sunday, this particular kind of cloud is. So we're going to stick with it for a little bit. Our gospel reading began with the words, six days later. Did anybody notice that? Uh, if, you had, if you heard that part and you noticed it, you might have been like, later than what? What just happened, right? That's a, that's a weird way to start a story. Six days later, it says. Well, if you take a small step back in the gospel story, you would hear Peter declare, just one chapter earlier, Peter declared that Jesus is the Messiah. This is called, the fancy church word for this is the Christological confession. He confesses Christ as God, Jesus as the Messiah. That's what you'd hear one chapter earlier, and then you'd hear right after that, Jesus predict his death for the first time to the disciples. Not the last time it's gonna happen, but the first time it happens, right there. And then six days later, We find Jesus, James, John, and Peter hiking a mountain together by themselves for no apparent reason except going on walks in nature is delightful. And while they are there, Jesus changes and is shining, dazzling, covered in light. And then Jesus is suddenly hanging out with Elijah and Moses too. And can you just imagine? So Peter, who now remember has just declared Jesus to be the Messiah, Does the only thing his tradition has told him to do, let's set up a tent of meeting, he says. No, no, how about three tents of meeting? We want three whole tents here. This This is good stuff. This moment is often talked about as Peter bumbling through what could be a really incredible moment and he doesn't know what to do, so he just kind of messes up and spits out whatever comes to his mind. And listen, I don't hate that. But also, and really who among us could handle that moment any better? I challenge you to that. But Peter is just doing what he has been taught to do. He says, this is obviously holy ground. Something is happening here. It would be good for us to stay. And you know what my tradition says to do when we have God present is we set up a tent and we wait for God to show up. And then what happens? A cloud appears where he has said, let's build a tent of meeting. A cloud, there it is again. This cloud comes, obscures the whole party, it covers Moses and Elijah and sparkly Jesus, and a loud voice comes to say, yes, Peter, you are right. This is the Messiah, you are right. The very presence of God shows up in a cloud in this place, just like the cloud on Mount Sinai, just like the pillar of cloud that showed up every time God came to the tent of meeting. This cloud let them know, in case there was any doubt, that God was there. They knew what the cloud meant. Their tradition had told them over and over again what the cloud meant. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious by the voice shouting it out from the cloud too. I mean, I think that was, you know, the voice helped but it was already obvious to them beforehand. The cloud showing up already told them what they needed to know. They have all these stories in their head about God being in the clouds and how no one can look at God and survive and God has just spoken and there is a cloud so they are rightly terrified and they fall to the ground. And then as quickly as it happened, it's done. It's just them and Jesus And he tells them to get up, do not be afraid, and they all go back down the mountain. So often our next question after we hear this story is, okay, well what does it mean? Right, we try to make this wild and weird and wonderful story make sense. We want it to have some kind of deep, powerful meaning. I wonder if Peter, bumbling, fumbling Peter, didn't have it right the whole darn time. It's good to stay here, he says, in the presence of God. Not on the mountain. It's good to stay in the presence of God. I think this, the point of the story is the meeting, not the meaning. And we like to find the meaning. When Peter suggests setting up a tent of meeting, he's asking to remain in the presence of God. He doesn't ask for an explanation of why Jesus is shining, which I feel like I would definitely ask that question first. How did that just happen? He doesn't ask why Moses and Elijah are there, though there are plenty of sermons being preached on this very day about why Moses and Elijah are there? Peter does not ask that question. I'm sure that question is in his head, but he also knows somewhere at the core of him that whatever is happening in that moment is holy and he does not need to understand it to experience it. He does not need to understand exactly what is happening to meet God in the cloud. I think what I like most about the idea of the tent of meeting that I got stuck on as I researched clouds and then I out about the tent of meeting and then I couldn't let go of this tent of meeting idea is that the tent wasn't holy on its own. The tent was just a tent and not like a REI tent. It was like a building of some sorts, but it was temporary, was always the point. But it was God's presence in that tent that made it holy. The tent was never holy on its own. And so I've been wondering this week what my own tents of meeting are. A place where I often feel like I'm in the presence of God. Let me tell you about one such place for me. There there are many more than this one, but I'm just going to tell you about this one. My favorite place in South Minneapolis is the Windchill Trail. If you follow me on social media, you have seen me post about it. It's my favorite place. Uh, That is my favorite spot of the trail. It's kinda of hard to see because it is so lush and dark and beautiful in there in the brightest time in the day because it is so tree-covered and beautiful. And in the winter, uh, when there are not leaves in there, you can see eagles and you can always see animals. I've seen owls and eagles and coyotes and foxes and it is wonderful. And you feel like, I I cannot believe I'm in the middle of the city and here I am in this space. There is a tiny spot where you cross a little, cover, a little bridge um where some water flows down cross this little bridge and you turn a corner and i call it in the fall i call this gold narnia so nick has a picture of gold narnia (laughs) it is so beautiful in there when it's green or gold or even in the winter when it's covered in snow it is my favorite place in the city It is holy in that place. I don't know why it is holy for me in that place. I understand it is not holy for everybody in that place. Certainly not holy for my 12-year-old daughter in that place, she would rather not be in nature. Thank you very much. It is holy for me in that place. I feel God's presence so clearly when I'm there. Touch a tree as I go by, see an eagle on a tree. Now I'm not telling everybody to take a drive to South Minneapolis and walk the windshield trail, though you should, but instead I wanna remind you that we all have places and people and spaces that feel holy like this. Places where we are in the middle of it and we have the same instinct as Peter to say, it is good to stay here, it is good to stay here. Let's build a tent of meeting so that we can see God's presence appear. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. This is the day we all get to join Jesus and Peter and James and John up on the mountain. And I have thought so differently about Transfiguration Sunday this year. I have not been held, I have not been held by the image of shiny Jesus. Usually that's the part that kind of gets me, like how is he dazzling, what does that mean? I'm not even that in awe of the voice calling out, though I've preached sermons about that before, and I had a half of one of those written before I got just stuck. I'm so used to this Sunday being about those things. Sparkly Jesus, the mountaintop, Moses, Elijah. I'm used to preaching sermons about wanting to stay in the mountaintop moment, how we want to hang on to that feeling of euphoria and try to capture it, recreate it, never leave it at all. But I have to be honest, I feel like lately those mountaintop moments are hard to come by. This year has felt kind of meh, you know? We're just getting through, we're dealing with hard things. And unpacking trauma from a pandemic and all the hard things that happened in the midst of it. I don't feel like there's been that many mountaintops for me. So I keep wondering well, what about the rest of the moments? Are the non mountaintop moments not holy, not special? 99% of our moments are not on the mountaintop. What about those? I think that's why I've been so captured by the cloud this year in this story. Because I think it's not actually about the mountain. It's about the presence of God. And the presence of God says, This is my son. And then, They all go off the mountain together. The presence of God goes with them off the mountain. This is also why I love the moment when Jesus, which is really weird if you think about it, that they're walking down together and this thing has just happened and Jesus says, don't tell anybody what you just saw until after I've been raised from the dead. What a weird thing to say, right? It's very weird. Jesus says this because what just happened on the mountaintop is not the biggest thing that's about to happen to them. But we can decide that the mountaintop was the coolest experience and that's the place we have to spend all our time. And Jesus says, no, actually, the thing you think is the biggest thing is not the biggest thing. It's going to get way, way bigger. The moment that matters most is still to come. Don't get stuck on the mountain. Everyone talks about their big, wow, shiny Jesus moments as the thing. I do this too, I get it. But Jesus is reminding us that God's presence is actually found elsewhere. Not on the mountain, not on a throne, but on a cross. This Sunday leads us into Lent. We are walking down the mountain with Jesus. And we are going to be reminded that the mountain is not the point. And I find this to be so helpful in a year that hasn't felt all that mountainy to me. <laughs> Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain, and we don't either. So maybe this day is not about the mountain at all. Maybe it's always been about the cloud, the presence of God was not on the mountain, but in the cloud. Maybe transfiguration is not just about Jesus getting shiny, but about letting the clouds surround us, not trying to understand it, explain it, or contain it, let it break us open a little bit, rearrange us a little bit. Maybe this day teaches us that transfiguration isn't magic or a miracle, but it is what happens to all of us when we are in the presence of God. The transfiguration is about the change that took place on that day. Not everyone is gonna dazzle like Jesus, because remember, we're never Jesus in the story. But the disciples were also changed by that event. They came down that mountain differently than they went up. They were changed too. And maybe today is not just about shiny Jesus, but for us it can be about being in the presence of God, letting the clouds surround us, listening for what God has to say on this day, in this time, and in your life. Whatever you hear, whatever you hear, it stays with you as we walk into Lent. Knowing that God goes with us off the mountain into the daily lives that we live. It is good that we stay in the presence of God. God always goes with us, but it is not on a mountain. God goes with us into our life. Amen. I had to think I was going to say, but I'm reminded, I want to say something else. I'm going to say that right here. Um, a lot of people, you've been probably paying attention to what's happening in Turkey and Syria, and people are wondering how they can help. Um, I was talking about this with grace before the service started, that 40,000 people dead is too much to comprehend in mentally. Like I was like, I can't even talk about it. i start crying. It's so many people. It's hard to fathom uh, so much destruction, so much loss. It is it is beyond our mental capacity to do so i understand and also we have a lot of additional resources that we can share and finances are one of them so uh lutheran world relief lutheran disaster relief is one of the ways that our denomination supports they are so good this is what they do they come in after disasters and they help and so uh, I understand that there's lots of organizations you could choose to give to. I encourage you to do so. If you've been wondering how to help and you want to know how you can do that, make take, sit down right now, make an extra donation, write Lutheran Disaster Relief in the memo, and we will make sure it gets to where it needs to go. It is it is important that we. Uh, show up. The Lutheran Disaster Relief folks are on the ground. They are already there. They they are already there. They were in Syria already because the disaster on top of a disaster has already been happening. And so we just want to make sure that if you need a way to give, we want to give you that resource. So Lutheran Disaster Relief, you can go to their website and give there. If you don't want to write a check, that's fine. Um, but please note that that is a way that we can um, be a part of this global community of, of people who take care of each other and support each other when uh, we are not in the midst of a mountaintop experience. So uh, that is what I'm going to leave you with today. Please go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.